From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 47. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, stamps.com, postage on demand, and go to meeting. Make it easy to meet with your team wherever you need to, wherever you are. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by your host of mine, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. We're getting dangerously close to number 50 now. Very, very close now. Very close. We're getting very close to, to one year of everything of Relay, and then a couple of weeks later, one year of Upgrade. It's, uh, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, pretty soon we will have time for reflection. Probably not now, but soon. So this time last year, were you still at IDG? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so again, that's a couple of weeks away, isn't it? Yeah, like this is this is July. I, I think, uh, so this time last year, I was still... At IDG, and in fact, it was uh, probably a couple weeks from now that I got the word that uh, everything was going hell, and that I was gonna I was gonna go at that time. That's coming up. That was a painful August and sep- late August, early September. That was the that was the worst. But um, yeah, so we're not quite there yet. Not quite at a year. But look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. How about that? Forty forty. Six episodes plus a few minutes of episode forty-seven, and we're we're uh, we're here. We're doing great, I think. Talking about doing great, yeah. Uh, you took the European countries quiz. I did. I did. Somebody on Twitter said, "I think Jason should take this quiz of European countries and see if he see if he does any better than Mike did with the U.S. states." And not only did you do better than me, I think you did better than I would do taking this quiz. <laughs> wow. Uh, because there are some countries on here that I don't know where they are on a map. Um, so, so basically, uh, and and we'll put a link in the show notes to the image I tweeted, a screenshot I tweeted of doing it. I just somebody tweeted this, and I just immediately responded with, "Okay, here it is," and I just did it right then, sitting on the couch on my iPad. I did it, and uh, the, the 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 problems that I, the ones that I missed, I I actually I I got in my own head about the Baltics, and I uh, I've been to Estonia. I know exactly where Estonia is. Latvia and Lithuania, you know, I had it right. And then I said, no, maybe it's this other way. Which is the one that has got the Kaliningrad going through it, the Russian enclave and or ex- exclave, I guess. And uh, um, and I switched them and I got those wrong. So I got the two of the Baltics that I that I transposed. And I also transposed, um, and my apologies uh, to your girlfriend, I transposed Romania mm-hmm. and... What was the country I transposed it with? Bulgaria. Um, Bulgaria. Yeah. I just had them. I just had them reversed, and then all of my other mistakes are because when Yugoslavia broke up, it broke up into like ninety thousand different countries. Yep. So. Yep. So yeah, I, I genuinely think thirty out of thirty nine is not only a great score; it's a, probably a better score than I would have gotten. What What European countries are the ones that baffle you? Oh, most of uh, Eastern Europe. Hmm. Like it, all of the, the kind of the same kind of ones, so I wouldn't know any of the ex Yugoslavia countries um, places. I got a like, few of them, although I did I did put like I put Croatia and Slovenia on twice because <laughs> I was like maybe this one, maybe this one. Oh, nice tactic! One. Nice tactic. It didn't pay off, but it was a good idea. It, well, I think it did pay off because I think I got them right and wrong, so that oh. they counted for me, but they also counted against the. The total, but I got to some of them. And I'm like, I don't even know. I thought this one was Croatia, but this can't be Croatia because then what's that? And there are so there are so many. Like I 
like finding Kosovo on a map was that was just not I I you know I did get and I and I totally spaced on Montenegro I had no idea um I think uh, yeah those those I just totally I totally blew some of those but I did get like you know I got Macedonia that was a good one um I'm I, you know I I did I did okay I did okay the east eastern Europe is is trickier it you is know, it, that it is trickier over there so like I would probably get the uh, like the Nordic countries mixed up as well. So I think you did a good job getting those too. Part part of the advantage there is that I have been there. Yeah, see, I've not been to a lot of Europe. I've actually been to more of America, I think. Uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, and I have been to probably more of Europe than you. Then it's possible, although you know, you you at least could uh, spot could spot Romania on a map. I hope so. All right, so having 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 been there, you should probably do that but yeah it was uh yeah that was that was kind of fun i was i i I have to say i was kind of proud of myself that i mean 30 out of 39 i wish i was kicking myself about the about lithuania and latvia but um and then i got to yugoslavia it's just like that's tough that's a lot i you know growing up learning geography it was really simple because it was just yugoslavia and now it's not like it's just two or three it's like seven different countries oh my god so that was harder I know where Greece is. That's the important one. So let's take this uh, this conversation from the Earth, from the countries on the Earth, and propel it out into space. Into space! Uh, you and that. Stephen got on the phone and t- spoke about space for a while, and it was put into yes. our B-Sides feed, which is like on a the pod, extras. The pod phone. On the pod phone. It, was, it wasn't like a, an actual phone call where, hello? Even there, when we talk about space, it's not quite. <laughs> Let me get him for you. He's just outside. <laughs> it's not. Shaven, your friend is here to talk about space. That He's would coming. be an absolutely great way to start a podcast. <laughs> to have to call and have it be somebody's mom answers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Your buddy's on the phone. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's a new kind of pod. The, the the phone cast, the pod phone. Um, yeah, we did. We talked for about 50 minutes about space stuff. We, we regaled you with space stuff for so long on two podcasts in the, in the last couple of weeks that we decided we would nerd out a little bit about space on our own and posted it. If people want to listen to it, you got to go to the B-Sides. So that's what relay.fm slash B dash sides slash 12. Yeah. Um, it'll be in the show notes this week as well. Yeah. So you can check that out. And I've had a bunch of people say they liked it which was really great and i had a bunch of people say they would love for it to be an actual podcast on relay to which i say uh anything is possible and uh you know we couldn't contain ourselves and that's why we did it we just thought it would be fun to try and see what people thought and keep watching the skies (laughs) yes there's a (laughs) clock up there you can keep watching it in space I really enjoyed it. I listened to it today. And it was good because, oh. you know, I as, as I said to you both when uh, you were bending my ear off on this show and, and Stephen was doing the same on uh, Connected when, during the Pluto stuff, um, I have an interest in it that I've never really explored in any way. But like most nerds, I'm just like interested in space, especially this, you know, Earth 2 planet, which you spoke about a little bit. Um that's the name I'll give it because the name it actually has like Kevlar four two <laughs> two B yep. side or something. I don't know. Kevlar slash B dash side slash uh-huh. twelve is the name <laughs> of the planet. <laughs> to quote its official name. Uh that see, it's just not exciting or memorable. So uh I liked hearing about that too. So it was it was fun and people should go listen to it and uh let Jason and Steven know what you know what what you think about it. 
Yeah, I think I think I would say we would love to um, talk about space stuff more often. And um, but there's lots we got lots going on in our lives, so um, we you know we'd love to hear what people think and if they if they liked it or not. And uh, you know we'll go from there. But uh, we, it was fun. It was fun to do, and it was fun to be able to do that with the um, the relay B side thing and just say, well, let's just uh, let's just talk and we'll put we'll put it in the b-side feed and it'll just be you know that gave us some place to put it which was nice so, yeah that's yeah, something we should do more with um i mean we're not we don't really do a lot of the after dark type stuff um because it's you know there isn't there tends not to be too much to actually go in there that is right right already in the shows uh but doing things like little specials and stuff you know we should we should try and do more of that like uh, we're thinking of maybe doing like a big Q&A thing for our one year anniversary. So that will go hmm. in there and, and stuff like that. So listen out for that in a couple of weeks time because uh, we're, we're gearing up to our one year anniversary now as we mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention, you know, I'm very excited, Jason. Tomorrow my bank will be enabling Apple Pay so I can go buy uh, as much Manchego as I like from Whole Foods if I really want to do that. Excellent. Do that. You do. You want to uh, do that. You do. I just bought some Manchego with Apple Pay. Yesterday, so, so if that's the case, I'm going to be out of the house tomorrow, buying all sorts of crazy cheeses um, from local stores <laughs> with with uh, touchless, uh, contactless uh, payments. Indeed. So this is this is um, not, so neither of your banks had it at, at at the official Apple Pay in the UK launch, right? Don't you have two banks? Yeah, um, one of the banks, Barclays, was trying to do their own thing and. They've now since rescinded on that, and they they actually lost someone high up in the company, like they got fired or something. Like one of the chief executives. <laughs> I was going to say, where they're they're high up, just hopefully they can wander through the building and find them. Tell them <laughs> to go down the stairs. I, I would hate to be lost high up in a bank. That would be terrible. That'd be frightening. It would be horrible. It happened to me a few times. Um, <laughs> and uh, HSBC, the other bank they that I use, they were meant to be on launch day, but mysteriously have pushed the date twice but ah. they are they have made official press releases and such to say that tomorrow is their live date um so I'm, okay I'm so, a, so hsbc is going to be the one that goes live first yeah yeah and then barclays, barclays don't have a date right because they were they were the ones who had their own thing and so they really loved their own thing and then and now they're backtracking on that well i can't wait to hear what your apple pay yeah. experience is like once you once you do start using it that'll be interesting just different perspective and and also what stores have it i it seems like they've they've uh, made an effort to get in a bunch of good you know have a bunch of good partners and james thompson keeps talking about going down to his local waitrose in in glasgow which i've been in <laughs> and uh and using apple pay which sounds very you know civilized yeah and fun yeah. the partners thing is a little bit weird though because apple were promoting a, a select list of partners that they're working with but it should actually work on any contactless terminal, which is basically every single major store in the country. So it's a bit... I'm, I'm going to do some more testing on this because I've never been able to really find a definitive answer. But my understanding is, even it says this on Apple's website, you know, or like, you know, any contactless, any store that uses contactless, but they're using these partners. I don't really get it. So I'm going to go and actually try that out myself in some places that are like unofficial you know like I've, I've seen people use it in like bakeries and stuff just like if you have contactless yeah you can try it and see if it works and a lot of times it will work and and sometimes the partners are a network or a hardware provider and yeah. 
you know, the, the individual store isn't a partner per se, but they're, you know, they've turned on Apple Pay for their terminal and so it works and they, they don't, they may not even know. So it's worth a try. I'm, I'm, I'm liking Apple Pay. I mean, I have limited places where it's available and then I go to some places and I see terminals and I think, well, I could try this here or, um, I, I want it to be in more places because I do find it really convenient. There was a, uh, give and take that I had with, uh, with, uh, Nevin Mergan on, uh, on on Twitter where he was saying, well, it's very obvious that uh, Apple Pay is better from the phone than from the Apple Watch. Um, because for him, you know, for him, he preferred it that way. <laughs> my response was, well, I always use it with my watch instead of my phone. <laughs> always. Because I think it's easier to tap a couple of, uh, t- tap the little uh, button, which also made him mad because you don't put, tap a button, you push a button. Which I feel like if you do it a couple of times, then you're tapping on the button. That's how that works. But He's a designer and thinks that you only tap on a touchscreen, I guess. So I, um, anyway, I push the, the little friend button a couple of times and it's a, a double push, if you will. And, uh, and it brings up Apple Pay on my watch and I go boop. And then, uh, the phone or the watch vibrates and I've paid. I think it's really convenient. I wish it was in more places. I think this is, this is the challenge with all this contactless stuff is that it's going to be a little while before it's everywhere. So it's hard to leave the house with only Apple pay because depending on where you go, you know, this place will have Apple pay and this place won't. So you end up bringing your wallet with you anyway, but um, it's still fun and convenient. And all this time later, I'm still really enjoying using it. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it is without a doubt the thing that is pulling uh, America kicking and screaming um, into the modern age of this stuff. So it's interesting, but not surprising, that Apple was the company to do it. Yeah. Google tried. Yeah, well, yeah, and Google will benefit now because these things mm-hmm. all work with uh, with Google Pay. <laughs> Do they yeah. call it Google Pay now? They changed the name of it. Is that Android Pay? Android Pay, maybe, from Google Wallet. Um, but it's it's a pay, and there's Samsung Pay, and I don't even know. There's there's many pays now, but uh, they all do the same thing. So they benefit. All the other vendors, this is not an Apple-only technology, so all the all of these terminals will support those other those other things too, but it really kind of took Apple to push it over the edge. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. I, I, I enjoy it. I like, you know, like I said, my... Whole Foods by my house is the place where I use it the most because it's right there and we're always going over there to get three things because it's the supermarket we can walk to in less than five minutes. So that's when we that's when we do it, but it's fun. I'm you know, I enjoy it. it feels like the future. Uh Stuart has written in to give more advice on uh, shuffling. Jason, can you take this one before <laughs> I t- tear my ears off? Yeah, this, this is going to be the last this is going to be the last one because we've got lots of people even when we say things in the show we get people asking us if we know about the thing we said in the show, which means I guess they just missed what we said in the show. But I did want to mention this because I, I thought this was a bit of nice practical advice from Stuart for me wanting to listen to songs from an artist without adding them to my library using Apple Music. And the answer is you go to the artist, you tap on their top songs list. If they have one, again, they don't all have them but if they do it's a sort of like the ones that get played or bought or whatever the most uh, in apple's database if you play the first track there at that point it will just play that list of the top 10 songs from that artist there may be duplicates in there that is a risk but it's not a bad approach if you really just want to say hey play me some things from this artist i've never heard of but i'm intrigued by um so that's not a bad tip so thank you Stuart. Um, and thus ends our discussion of shuffling music in an artist in apple music <laughs> This will only come up again if it is fixed. 
If there or, is a development, yes. Yeah, if there is a change in which Breaking makes just Jason happy. But other than that, mm-hmm. never again. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to everybody that suggested something. Um, listener Adrian wrote in about the iPod um, and in regards to the iPod Touch. And Adrian has said, Time will tell, but this seems like the perfect gift of my daughter's birthday. She's 10, loves taking photos. She wanted to be able to carry around her music. And she even recently wanted a Fitbit. The new iPod Touch has the M8 processor. Um, and he wanted to mention that he loves the show. I have a couple of cousins uh, around the same age, uh, both girls, and was there. Uh, we had a family barbecue on the weekend, and they both love their iPads. That is what they are big on mm-hmm. um, for many of the same reasons, like for taking photos and stuff like that. And there, um, my uncle works for a telephone company, a mobile phone company. Uh, so there are lots of phones in the house, uh, but they both much, much prefer their iPads. Um, but I can see how for Adrian's daughter, there may be a little bit more specific use cases, like tracking her steps and activity, which is really cool that at that age she wants to do that. I can see how the iPod Touch could make sense um, for her in this scenario. I mean, and that's the thing, right? I think... When we were talking last week, um, I I don't think and you know we can be corrected if so so much that we were saying we didn't understand the iPod Touch's placement, but more like why, especially the Nano still exists. I think the iPod yeah. Touch had, makes makes sense in some areas, and I think primarily as a game console. But I do think that the iPad is still better for like ninety percent of tasks than the iPod Touch. Right, but this is a good example. Of, of taking pictures, carrying around music, and, and even the sort of like steps and things like that. I, I wonder whether this is a common thing or whether she's a real edge case, this this uh, 10-year-old girl. But um, it's possible. My son is 10 and just about to turn 11, and he has my original iPad mini and loves it. And yep. that's the thing that he uses all the time. He absolutely loves it. But again, he's not carrying it around and taking pictures with it and putting it in his pocket because his pocket wouldn't hit it anyway but um but it's just like for him it's about all about the games and he likes the bigger screen and we're talking about as he goes off to middle school we're talking about handing down an iphone to him just so that he's got something to contact us since he's going to be walking a longer distance to get to school and he's going to be um not walk to school by us every day so you know he's going to be with his friends but we want to we want to have a lifeline there so we want to have him be able to call and there's this question of, is he going to just uh, completely embrace the iPhone or is he going to still use the iPad? And um, he declared un, sort of like unprompted to us the other day that he thinks he'll probably still use the iPad, even if he gets an iPhone, because of the big screen. He likes playing games on the big screen. And yep. um, I think that's probably true. But, you know, the iPad is not for everybody. So the iPod Touch gives you another another angle to it. I think it really is a kid's device, though. Primarily. Yeah, I think I think so. There, there are. I do hear from people every now and then who have a cheap cell phone plan. Yep, and feel like they've got Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere they go. The John Syracuses, if you will. This is the 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 John Syracuses of the world from a few years ago. Um, now he has his iPhone, but yeah, just like John, who they look at the cost. You know, data plans aren't cheap. Now the 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 way data plans are structured is changing. And with family plans, it can actually be not a bad deal. Um, and and uh, if you've got a certain number of people on a plan already, it can start to make more sense. It's like you might as well just get a get a phone or use a hand-me-down phone. Um, but there are people for whom that is um, not worth it. 
and that you know they don't need data when they're out and about and they've got a cheap phone maybe prepaid that just gives them that lifeline when they're out and about and that's enough and uh, for now i think that is still an interesting kind of sliver of the market but i do think that over time there will be plenty of other ways to uh uh to to uh get people on data for cheap um and uh you know we'll we'll have to see i think that's one reason there's no cellular ipod touches is that I do think there's a class of people who would say, well, why should I get an iPhone? <laughs> All I want is data. And I actually thought about that, is that if I were a woman or if I was a, a, a man with a purse, <laughs> I could put it that way too. If I had a big bag that I carried around all the time, I wonder whether I would really need my iPhone at all. Because if I had a cellular iPad mini, let's say, that might be enough. I mean, I don't do, take calls very often. It's all texts and using data. So... You know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see in the next five or 10 years what happens with uh, with access to data for cheap. Um, and, you know, what, what do you pay for? Uh, and is there a way to get fairly cheaply in the in the U.S. anyway? This is still an issue um, to fairly cheaply get access to a lot of data when you're out and about. But right now, I think that there is a class of people who are like, you know, just not it doesn't make sense to pay that monthly uh, fee for uh, a smartphone plan. Uh, I actually have a question for you about um, plans and upgrading and stuff like that. Uh, oh, upgrading. Upgrading, upgrading on upgrade. Uh, but let's take our first break first because uh, we're still not out of the follow-up. So we may, yes. as well, we may as well take a break in the middle of the follow-up now because I'm Why about not? to bring in a mini topic halfway through. So yeah. let's do that. Uh, this week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by GoToMeeting from Citrix. Now, I want you to think about when you're at work and think about all of the time and money and hassle that goes into holding a meeting in your office. So you have to book out a conference room that you want, which you might have to wait six weeks to get because the building's so busy. You need to make sure you can get everyone in the same place, so you need to sync calendars. And then when you're syncing those calendars together, if that person's off on a meeting on the other side of town, it means they can't make it, so they're going to need to travel in. And then if you do actually finally get everybody to agree to a time which they can make, you need to get the projector set up, you need to get IT in, right, so they can get that one dongle that you need for your uh, MacBook, which has the crazy USB-C. Then you need to think about sorting out refreshments for everyone, right, because some people will only join come downstairs if there's going to be a cup of tea waiting for them that is horrible it's hassle nobody wants to have to deal with it there is a better way that better way is Citrix Citrix's go to meeting it is the smarter way to meet go to meeting makes it easy to meet with your team wherever you need to wherever you are because with GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone without travel expenses or the hassle of travel. I remember when I was working in my old job, sometimes I would be on my way back from a meeting, like in town, and then I'd have a, a GoToMeeting scheduled, and I could just call in from my phone. Um, I could turn on my camera if I needed to, but I could be on the train, and I could be looking at the slides that the presenter was showing from my iPhone. I used to love that. Your team can join by clicking a link. There's no sign-ups, no speed bumps. You can turn on your webcam, and with HD quality video, it's just like being in the room, and you can share screens to present, review, and get feedback all in real time. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing, so you and your team can get on the same page and get going quickly. It's You should stop wasting time with the crazy logistics of a 
arranging meetings. Go and sign up for GoToMeeting today. You can try it for free for 30 days and there's nothing to lose. Just visit GoToMeeting.com, that's G-O-T-O-M-E-E-T-I-N-G.com, and click the Try It Free button and you'll have your first meeting up and running in just minutes. So once again, GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. Thank you so much to Citrix's GoToMeeting for supporting this show. I'll tell you, uh, genuinely... Go to meetings saved my sanity when I worked in that job at times. I believe it. it really, yeah, it really, really did. I, I, I actually really do endorse go to meeting because I think it's fantastic for this type of stuff. So, uh, my mum uh, has an iPhone five C, uh, which she upgraded from a three G from about about eighteen months ago, which was a happy day for everyone. Um, her contract is up for renewal in about 10 days' time. Mm. And she wants a bigger phone. She wants an iPhone 6, I think. She, she said she wants she wants a bigger phone, but she doesn't want a phone as big as mine. So I'm thinking an iPhone 6. Now, we are probably about six weeks away from the new iPhones, I think, at this point. Would probably be a fair assessment, right? Middle of yeah, September, so. early September. Yep. Should I have the up her make her upgrade to an iPhone six now, or wait? Now she's there's no point getting a six S for her because she doesn't want to spend money, and for an to upgrade to an iPhone six now in the UK, you can get it for pretty much next to free, if she signs another year on her contract, because all the phone manufacturers know, uh, all the phone companies know that they need to be getting rid of their stock now. Yeah. So they're driving the prices down. She could probably upgrade for free, or she could just sell her 5C um, to a gazelle-like company we have here called Mazuma Mobile and pay off the contract fee. There is a good chance, right, depending on how it works out, that she could do it to a 6S as well when they come out. She might get enough money, but I don't know. I'm just wondering. She doesn't need the most recent, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure whether to wait to see what it happens, but like there could be, they could stop selling the six altogether. We don't know what's going to happen, um, and then she might have to spend the money that she doesn't want to have to spend. So I'm in a bit of a struggle because I, you know, I'm looked at to get this decision right for her. So I'm not sure what to do. Well, I think so. It it remains to be seen what happens with this because this is not quite an iPhone mix like we've seen before from Apple, um, because you've got the six and the six plus. It remains to be seen what's going to happen in terms of uh, what's the phone that is in the U.S. It's you know ninety nine dollars down or a hundred dollars down. It's the ninety nine one ninety nine two two ninety nine. So it, it remains to be seen: is there going to be a last year's model of the six down a hundred? Is that going to happen with the six plus as well? Are they going to have old ones of those, or are they going to do something where I mean, there there are some reports from an analyst today saying that there's not going to be a you know a four inch iPhone with last year's stuff uh, this fall. Um, his track record's okay. Maybe, maybe not. And maybe it'll be next year. Maybe it doesn't exist at all. We talked about that in previous yeah, shows. Yeah, because he's, he's saying that... this guy, uh, is it uh, Timothy Acuri? He's saying there's nothing in the supply chain. Which is right. a pretty now good, his... if he's right, I mean, that's if he's a pretty right. good indication. If he's right. And, and it's not unreasonable for Apple to say, look, we are going to do that phone, but we don't need to do it in the fall when we're making all these big sales and we, it's our biggest quarter. Why don't we just, we don't need to launch, like with the iPod Touch, do we really need to launch all of these products simultaneously? Do that one in the summer, do this next one, you know, in, in the winter, 
um, after the holidays, that that's not unreasonable. But if they don't do that, then the question is, what's that $99 product? Is that the 5S for another year? Does that 5S go down? Is there a 6, but not a 6 plus maybe? Is there, does the 6 go down $100 and then the 6S is above it? Is that what, is that what they do? I, I bring this up because I feel like that's sort of your mother's question here is um, if if there's going to be in an, in a few weeks that six is going to be a hundred dollars less or the you know in the equivalent in UK prices right um, is that a better deal than what she's get, being offered now um, and if that's a better deal then maybe she should wait um, but if 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 the six just goes away <laughs> and it's replaced by the six S and now it's more expensive than what she would do right exactly. now this is my problem then <laughs> then then so that well so the, and that's yeah that's that's the trick. Uh, yep. Since she doesn't need the, you know, doesn't necessarily need the features of a six versus a six S. I guess I would say if it, if she can get a really good deal now, it's probably fine. But yeah. um, but but we don't know that piece, right? Because I normally I would say that look in in mid September that iPhone six base iPhone six is going to go down a hundred dollars. Um, the question is, are they going to limit it to one size? Is that going to be, you know, the 16? Is that is that enough for her? There's lots of other questions in there too, but... Oh yeah, she only needs a 16. She doesn't put yeah. anything on her phone at all. So, if I mean, if that phone exists, I, I have a hard time believing that all sixes are just going to vanish on September 18th or whatever of, you know, when the, when the new iPhones um, are released. It seems like... It seems like we're so close now that she could probably benefit from waiting unless the deal that her um, her carrier is willing to cut her on the six is uh, is really good. And if it's really good, then maybe it's worth taking it because they obviously, like you said, they're motivated to move to move them out because they know that that uh, this is a tough time to sell a, a new iPhone to somebody because everybody knows that they the new ones are coming. But some people don't care, right? Some people don't care that the new ones are coming. So mm-hmm. maybe that's your mom's case and that if she can get a good deal now, maybe that's enough. Like it's possible to get um, an iPhone 6 right now, 16 gigabyte on a pretty good plan. So say like 30 pounds, 35 pounds a month and you just pay 100 pounds up front, which is excellent. It's yeah. a great deal, and it's everything she needs as well. See that that's that's the thing is I, I would say it's that that's not something that that nerds should do, <laughs> but that a regular a, you know a regular light use person like your mom uh, is not one of those computer nerd people, and that's a pretty good deal. And she doesn't need to worry so much about you know future proofing. Uh, you know, oh well, if you wait six weeks, then you'll have a phone that will be that will be slightly better in three years or something like that. I, I'm not sure that it matters or that the new features that are coming are going to be things that she cares so much about that it's worth her waiting. Then again, and see, I'm doing it now too. I'm going back and forth. Then again, it it almost never hurts to wait, especially if the wait's only six weeks. So it really, for, to me, it's sort of like. How badly does she want something new? This is what, I mean, this is always what I say when people say, should I upgrade is, do you need to upgrade or can you wait? If you can wait, wait, because there will always be something good, something better coming later. But at some point you just need to buy something. And so you should buy it when you need to buy it. Yeah. Uh, I, my feeling right now is is probably to just just wait. But I don't know. I don't know. 
Maybe, maybe can... I, maybe I wait, and if uh, it ends up costing her more, like I make her wait, and if it ends up costing her more, then I just cover the difference. I think that would be fair for everyone. So I'll probably take the gamble yeah. on waiting. Yeah, I think that might be good. If, if she, if she's willing to wait, I think it's probably worth waiting. It's just that really tough time of the year for these kinds of decisions. Because it's like we're weeks away, but yet we have literally no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't. Like uh, at this family barbecue, uh, somebody, one of my family members asked me, what's the new iPhone going to have? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but like, people expect me to know. It's like, I don't know. Like I can guess, but nobody knows. But like pe- th- people oh. think that I'm like messing around when I say that. Like they expect that I'll, I know, I know exactly oh, yeah. what's going to happen. You must get this constantly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. People think that I know everything about what's coming and it's like, nope. <laughs> Nope, they don't. They don't talk to like me I, about stuff like that. No, where we are right now, we really don't have a sense for what's happening. Um, I know. Isn't that funny? Isn't yeah. that funny that there's nothing? Well, I mean, Mark Gurman just got back from vacation, so <laughs> let's, let's see what happens tomorrow. <laughs> he's going to check in with all his sources, and we're going to get we're going to get all the details the next week because he's been on vacation. He's, he's he's powering up for the next round. But you know, we've we've heard a lot of talk about. Uh, about haptic stuff, so force touch and and haptic haptics built in, I think makes sense. Um, better camera makes always makes sense. Always better Foster, camera. Blah blah blah. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, faster. Maybe it'll have more RAM, like the like like the iPad Air two has. Um, you know, stuff like that. It, it's the six S, right? It's not. It's not the seven, and mm-hmm. so it's the uh, talk. In the TikTok metaphor, maybe? Who knows? 50 50 <laughs> chance know, of getting that. Let's just say, sure. Yeah. So that's the, um, you know, if we define the tick as advancing to a whole new model with a, di- a different look, and the talk as being the incremental update within the specs and size of the old model, that's the, you know, it's the S, is what I'm saying. So it's not going to be as uh, big a jump because the big jump happens every couple of years. Because the buying cycle right now is every couple of years. So after we spoke last week um, about iPods, you went and threw an SSD into a iPod Classic, or just as an iPod, as it was called at the time. Yeah, it was. Well, it's the fifth generation iPod, so I, I refer to it as the iPod Classic. And I had somebody say, "Well, actually, that's the that's the fifth generation iPod Video that you're referring to there," which is I I have you know. Fair point, except I think uh, we have to refer to those as all as the iPod Classic at this point because Apple, and I, I pointed uh, that person to a Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page for iPod Classic, which includes all of the classic iPod models back to the original. It's the thing we think of as the classic iPod, which in its last generation was called the iPod Classic. Anyway, it's the big one with the spinning hard drive in it. And um, I saw that Otherworld Computing was offering this product that was a, a flash drive up, upgrade for the fifth uh, generation iPod and the sixth generation iPod Classic. And uh, so I said, uh, I'd like to check that out. Can you send me one? And they sent me one and I installed it myself, um, which was a little scary. I have never cracked an iPod open before to do something like that. Um, 
and I was using uh, a how-to article from the web, and it did me pretty well until the point where I need to install their adapter, and then I didn't know which way to put it. Um, fortunately, th this was like one of the first ones that they were selling, and they've now posted their how-to video, which shows very clearly the one mistake that I made. So I basically had to take it all apart a second time and flip the thing around. I had the cable in backward. And uh, to oh. my surprise, it worked fine. Hmm. It, I closed it back up, and now I've got this thing that is much lighter because there's no spinning big metal spinning hard drive in it. Instead, there's just a little compact flash memory adapter with a with a or a, what SD adapter. It's a little little flash memory adapter with an SD card in it, uh, with like a 128 gig SD card in it. So you know, I went from 60 of spinning disk to 128 of not spinning and lighter. And not going to crash, and uh, and you know the way the iPods work, you just plug it into iTunes and it installs its own software on the device and puts your music on it. And now I have my entire purchase music library because, like all these products, it's not compatible with Apple Music. Um, but my entire purchase music library now is on there. It doesn't take any time to spin up because there's nothing to spin. It doesn't. It's not going to uh, crash. That's a ten-year-old iPod, so that drive was going to die at some point. It's, it lives in my car's glove compartment attached to the car stereo um and uh yeah so it was pretty cool and so if you're somebody who has a a, a classic ipod of the fifth or sixth generation which like i said is basically made in the last 10 years of the big one um and the hard drive has died or you want more space i think it's actually a pretty cool option so you know it's funny that we were just talking about old ipods and then um and then I was working on this story. So they, they, those both happened the same week. So anyway, the, the link to the Six Colors post will be in the show notes. But um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty impressed. It, it's not, you got to be comfortable <laughs> cracking open an iPod. But um, if you are capable of, of, you know, doing that sort of thing, of, of uh, installing, uh, so, you know, you, you got to work with some little things. You got to have good, good eyesight or, uh, or good glasses. But uh, I, I got it to work. It took me like half an hour once I figured out what I was doing wrong because I because I didn't have access to the video that they posted now. Yeah. Big iPod now. In the car. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's weird to me yeah. that you plug it in and it installs the software itself. Like, how does it know that it's an iPod? Well, no, I, I think so. I, I think the, well, it looks at the drive and says... I, my software isn't on this drive, right? If you if you put in a new disc, whether right. it's a spinning disc or this adapter, it goes, oh, I don't know what this is. Um, but these things are designed to connect to iTunes, right? So you connect it to iTunes just by, you know, to USB, to your Mac, running iTunes. And you do a, you know, you do a software restore. And it puts the software on. It download. I think it downloads the latest version from Apple. Yep. puts the, puts the iPod software on. Lets you sync your music, and you're up and running. It's that's how they're made to work. Basically, is when there's a blank drive, they just want to phone home to to the Mac and to iTunes, and then they they restore. It's interesting. It's very interesting to me yeah. because one of those things that like maybe my my fundamental level of compute understanding of computing is failing me. But it's like I just. If the drive's empty, I'm just a little bit like, how does it know? It's just computer magic, kids. That's how it knows. Yeah, it's magic. There's a there's an elf that lives inside the iPod. Last piece of follow up today. Um, so we oh my god. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, you know, many we're doing these are like mini topics. We took we took a break in the middle of the follow up. We did. Put a topic topics. and a and a sponsor in there. We you know it was very yeah. very very broken up today. Uh, we spoke about Touch ID over wireless and listener Shep wrote in. 
um, with uh, some some indication that this may be possible. Uh, Shep says. Apple have already implemented HomeKit encryption standards that require, require that accessories use bleeding edge 3072-bit keys and curve 25519, whatever that is, which is an elliptical yeah. curve for signatures and key exchange, which should be definitely be sufficient for transferring and confirming Touch ID information, so maybe it is possible in a wireless device. Basically, whilst me and Jason don't have any clue what that means, it sounds like that there is some kind of encryption standard being used with HomeKit to identify that you are the person that you say you are with the device that you have, right? So it's I assume what's happening is the HomeKit devices are authenticating via your iPhone, which is unlocked by you, um, to do these things. So if that's the case, and if this stuff works that way, it's not too far a stretch to imagine that a Touch ID sensor could send a yes, this is the person notification over to a device. There's an elf that lives inside. Yeah, and he this, shouts over, this, "Hey, hey, <laughs> this one's okay. Let this one through." I like Thank this you, guy. Elf. He's got a friendly face. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Shep, I, I appreciated this note, and I put it in the show notes because basically what Shep's saying is, look, Apple's already pushing on a lot of uh, encryption stuff uh, for HomeKit, and perhaps that means that uh, you could even do uh, something like Touch ID for opening you know for unlocking your computer or whatever or even kicking off an apple pay session if apple pay was baked into a version of os 10 uh, via a you know future magic trackpad that had touch id or something in that that, that, that maybe maybe that's possible even though yep. we were skeptical about it maybe it is or maybe it's just uh, going to be something that's going to be limited to wired like trackpads on on uh, on laptops and that i mean really laptops are apple's focus um two-thirds at least of the Macs sold are laptops. It's maybe maybe verging up to three quarters at this point. So this may not be an issue, even though I'm using an iMac. Uh, you know, most of Apple's users are using laptops. And so putting a Touch ID sensor on the laptop wouldn't require wireless anything. So maybe mm-hmm. that's where they're going with it if they go that, that direction. I was looking at my Magic Trackpad today and looked at the little battery compartment, you know, the little circular battery compartment and thought, a Touch ID sensor would fit really nicely on there. That, that was what I saw when I was using mm-hmm. my Magic Trackpad today to edit my podcast as I do two-handed, one Magic Trackpad and one mouse, because I am a magician. That's you are. Yeah, that's right. That's how I, the that's how I work. Yes, one yeah. of the two. Apple Watch sales. So we're into another mini topic now. So yeah. uh, I know that you had had um, some annoyance over the way that some of the Apple Watch stuff was being yeah. uh, spoken oh, about yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Um, about there was like an, a New York Times piece where somebody was basically trying to say that because Facebook don't have an app, it means that Apple Watches aren't selling. Um, and then there's been reports backwards and forwards uh, about how Apple Watches have been sold. And then we had the earnings report. Now, the earnings report, which came out uh, last week, Apple's Q3 results, didn't break down watch sales, but did give an indication that watches are selling effectively. Um, and you wrote a great piece for Macworld talking about some of the big key learnings from the Q3 earnings. So what do you think about Apple Watch sales now past an earnings report? Yeah, so uh, lots to unpack here. I, I did complain um, about the this uh, uh, New York Times story that was in advance of the Apple Watch sales and basically was saying... 
um, you know, it's hard for me not to look at this and read it as that uh, the editor at the New York Times in charge of tech said, Apple financials are coming. We need a story that uh, previews them. Uh, find an angle. And the angle was, uh, oh, developers are unsure about how they're going to develop Apple Watches. And that means that people are waiting to buy Apple Watches until the developers of their favorite apps support it, which I think is a ridiculous premise that people are not buying Apple Watch because they're not sure whether Facebook will be on it. I think that's just, I think mm-hmm. that is not, no, I don't believe that at all. People are not buying them for a reason, you know, if they're not buying them, but I also don't buy that that is in the buying decision. Lack of apps seems unlikely to be a reason. I mean, maybe lack of a very specific thing of like, I need an Apple Watch, but I need it to do this. But I don't think it's sort of like, why isn't there a Facebook app? And somebody pointed out, you know, Facebook didn't do an iPad version of Facebook for years Yep. <laughs> they're very careful with what they do, and they're and quite rightly so. I mean, uh, I linked to Marco Arment's piece about uh, ripping up the first version of Overcast on the watch and doing it again. And now there's going to be Watch OS too. I mean, there are lots of reasons why developers might they might want to wait and see and figure out the best uses. I think a Facebook app full stop on the Apple Watch is a terrible idea because there's too much in Facebook and that they'd be better off. Yes, a Facebook Messenger app, maybe that makes sense. And, and, you know, maybe there's a very focused Facebook app that does this, but it doesn't do all these other things. But this idea that like, oh, well, it should be pretty simple. They should just drop all of Facebook on an Apple Watch app. It's like, that would be terrible. That would, that would be a terrible thing. So, so don't, don't do that. And they haven't. So good for them. But, uh, so I think it, it was a kind of a ridiculous story and, uh, I, I, you know, Brian Chin used to work for me and I like him and he, I, I am not one of those people who thinks that there are a lot of people who are very critical of a lot of the things that he writes. And I actually think that that that's uh, overly harsh, but this, in this case, um, I think this is a story that makes this link, uh, to, uh, like Apple watch sales and, and, uh, app developers. And it's, it's, it's lazy and it's a bad story. Um, the bigger issue now is how many, uh, Apple watches did Apple really sell, uh, as far as we can tell, it looks like they are the most successful smartwatch ever. That's not a big surprise. Um, but when it comes to details, basically what Apple says is, it, trust us, it's doing well. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> about that's this? All I said. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, well, you know, so Tim, what Tim Cook says is, um, it's not a matter of not being transparent. It's a matter of not giving our competition insight on a product that we worked hard on. Um Okay. That seems, I mean, hmm, okay, okay. I've been thinking about this, Jason. Uh, and I have an opinion, which is probably going to be a little bit unpopular, but I've been thinking about it, and I'm annoyed about this. I think that this is a uh, real kind of big city answer. Like, it's a... I don't... I, I think that they were just concerned about potential failings and that because tim basically staked his legacy on this product i think that he and everybody else around him decided that they didn't want it to look like a failure if it was a failure um and that they would take because you can they can later start reporting it right but after Mm -hmm. they start reporting it they then can't hide it but before they before they report it for the first time (laughs) they can hide it right but if if it doesn't sell well and then they're like we're going to start reporting this in other now then it looks worse than if they do it the other way right. around um, there is there is a middle there is a middle ground here which is the uh we are going to report it on our own terms and this is what they do with things like app sales 
Um, and even things like iOS device overall numbers, they're, they're numbers that aren't in the balance sheet yeah. that they do know. And then what know. they do is they release, a, they release a press release saying Apple celebrates sale of 2 millionth Apple Watch. And you're like, okay. Uh, and, that, and that's not a lie. I, 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 when they do that, it'll be the real number. But it will be this timed release. And then everybody else is like, okay, now what? And then you wait to hear how long is it until they say, do they say it at 3 million or 4 million or 5 million? And everybody waits. So that, that's the middle ground where they do things to disclose, but they do it on a time schedule that isn't quarterly and that makes it, uh, that, that casts the product in, in the own, their own you know, the best light possible. And I think that uh, is an option for them. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that they haven't shared the numbers. Um, and it may be that they feel like it's, it's lower than they'd like, although they say it exceeded their expectations, but we don't know what their expectations are. And, you know, that's a funny <laughs> game where you can yeah. also have really conservative expectations while you secretly think it's going to be three times that. And then it turns out to be one and a half times that. And you say, well, it exceeded my expectations, but didn't really, because you didn't really think it was going to be that low. That's possible. Yeah. It's also possible that the production problems that they had have complicated this so much that they kind of don't want to talk about it right now. And they, you know, they, they, um, like he said, he said it was untrue that there was a peak of sales and then it went down, which is that one report that we got from that company that like mines people's emails and which I, I, is an insane business model. Um, and, uh, and what they said is, um, they were, they, they were higher in June that they, they were going, they had gone up. Um, but that too Nobody is unclear knows what that means. <laughs> because it could mean that the sales went up because they were unable to charge people yeah. for for watches that hadn't shipped yet, and they very slowly started to to ramp. And so what we're seeing in those sales numbers going up is not demand going up, but it's the ramp going up. At the same time, it's yep. also disingenuous to say that oh well, it had a lot of initial sales and then it dropped off. I guess it's a flop because brand new product, brand new category, pre-announced by six months. Of course, there's going to be a huge peak of people buying at the moment it goes on sale and then it's going to have to settle down to an actual reasonable number. So both of the numbers are suspect. So we we really don't know other than Apple saying, again, it's better than we thought. Um, we're very excited about the holiday. I think I thought the most intriguing thing they said was by looking at the customer experience and what people are saying um, uh, that we're really excited about the holidays. Like I think what he said was um, we've learned a lot about the Apple Watch buying experience, and we're convinced that the watch is going to be one of the top gifts of the holiday season. So what that says to me is maybe that in their research about who's buying this, they feel bullish on the fact that it's going to break through past the like super excited tech buyers to a broader audience in the holidays, which I think is uh, a reasonable premise. But it, it doesn't really get us any closer to knowing other than other than that the other category went up by a little less than a billion dollars and both um uh Luca the CFO and Tim Cook said uh Apple Watch sales were way way beyond that so we we've got a, a few metrics of like how how much greater it is but in the end I made a chart last week of this of total Apple Watch sales and it's like there's a it's a bar 
with yep. no number and no it's a what we call a bezos chart the jeff bezos charts from amazon that there's the, the look the bar the bars look great but we won't tell you what they mean it's a little like that we're in this yep. really hazy situation where apple kind of doesn't want to talk about it which is a little bit suspicious to me i feel like apple is really good at blowing its own horn <laughs> and it sort of didn't do that here but at the same time it is this new category and they are undoubtedly by far the most successful smartwatch ever already. But, you know, what does that mean uh, for the future? And uh, does it mean anything? And we, it's just a whole lot of a whole lot of hazy stuff and not a lot of, uh, of uh, tangible information about the watch right now. Yeah, I, I think just as I've been talking about it and thinking about it, I think I'm finding myself as frustrated with this as I get with Jeff Bezos. Like... And yeah. the Kindle, the yeah. Kindle graphs that mean nothing, where it's like, right. yeah, no, we'll Up. tell you, no, there definitely was money. So that like, oh, there was loads of money, mm. but uh, it's more money than you think. There is money, like that's kind of the yeah. answer, right? Where it's like, oh, the money went up, but other things in that category went down, so it's even more than you think. We're just not going to tell you. <laughs> like, it's like right. either do it or don't do it. Is and I just I do feel like that just the reason for this was they were just a little bit like we're not sure how this is going to go, so why don't we just play our cards to our chest for a while? Yeah, and uh, th- there it did lead to a very funny moment for me anyway, um, where in order to pump up how well the watch was doing they said well that other category but you know that includes ipods and those suck those are falling through the floor so you know don't just assume that it's just even there because i assure you some of those other categories like ipods and accessories man those were down those stunk so it's like they're throwing other stuff you know out into the street because they want to be like, yeah, but the watch was was doing great. So yeah, they were shifty. I think that's the bottom line here is they were shifty. They're not they're not ready to talk about it yet. And how much of that is that they're not ready to? They don't feel proud enough of the information now. Um, how much of that is strategic? I don't know, but um, it is interesting that they're being kind of shifty about it, and they don't they want don't want to disclose, and they don't have to because. I mean, the fact is, if Apple could, they wouldn't do quarterly reports and tell you about how many phones they're selling either. But they have to because they're a public company. Uh, so it's like we, we, this is our chance to see facts about Apple's business that Apple would rather not share. Um, Why do they have to they, tell they, us how many phones they sold and they don't have to tell us how many watches they sold? Well, they make decisions about their main... I, I think it would be very difficult for a public company to have its most popular product and not be broken out in their, um, in their financial lines. But they they have some latitude there for a brand new product category like this. Uh, they've just put it. It's just like the iPods have been sort of sucked back into other now because it's just not relevant. And they did that, but it's it's hard. They've got to recalculate all of their finances when they put in a new category. Um, but they did it for the iPad, right? And they haven't done it for the watch yet. And they might. They might do a restated uh, earnings and put it in with put a watch category on its own next year. They might do that. They might not. Um, it is sort of an iPhone accessory, so maybe they prefer to just uh, to keep it that way. But so they have some latitude, but they do need to report about the structure of their business to their investors. And uh, you know, I do believe that if if they had their druthers, they wouldn't. <laughs> you know, that's Apple. Yep. But uh, they have to say they have to tell us some things, but they don't have to tell us everything. I'm upset about something else. Um, oh yes, but okay. we can talk about that after this break. Okay, good. 
This week's episode is also brought to you by Igloo. Igloo don't upset me. They're the internet that you're actually going to like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to get your work done. You don't have to look at an internet that looks like it was built by somebody who wants to hurt your eyes every day when you want to get stuff done. Because Igloo think about all of these things. They make their platform look fantastic and they make it work great wherever you are. You can manage your task lists from wherever you want to be. You can you can update and upload files from wherever you want. You can maybe be in a meeting. You can maybe be at a client site. You can maybe send a status update to everybody while you're in the car, obviously when you're in the passenger seat. These days, everything is mobile. Your work should be too, and Igloo understand that. And they give you all of this in an environment that looks great. It's Igloo is super configurable. You can make it look and feel the way that you want. You can completely rebrand it. You can give it the look and feel of your team with the colors and fonts that you like. And you can also customize the way that Igloo works. The group spaces function enables basically, depending on what role you have, you can access different parts of Igloo, right? So the correct teams and stuff, and you can set people up permissions and things like that. So they see what they need to see. And you as the creator or whoever creates the Igloo spaces can create all of this with a drag and drop widget editor you can organize the whole platform to fit exactly how your company and individual teams within your company work they can have different functionality switched on switched off depending on what makes the most sense to them you can also integrate services like box google drive and dropbox into their one big easy to secure platform this means that people won't be spreading out their documents across all different platforms. If you integrate them with Igloo, it means people can use the apps and services they want to use, but in a way that is secure and meets the privacy policies of your company. They have 256-bit encryption, single sign-on, and Active Directory integrations. This is all stuff which the security nerds out there, I'm sure, are going to love. With Igloo, you can also share files of your co-workers using their HTML5 document previewing engine. So This is a great way for everybody to comment on documents and stay up to date of what's happening but also they have red receipts as well so you know if people are seeing the critical information that needs to be seen without having to do a round robin email to make sure that everybody's done it this is really good especially if you've worked in a team man our sponsors today are great for people that work in these kind of corporate environments basically stuff like this stuff like igloo if you've used any other type of thing like this any type of intranet maybe if you sharepoint or something like that before this is a breath of fresh air just trust me on that one if you have a team of up to 10 people you can sign up to igloo right now and you'll be able to get it for free for as long as you want which is just a fantastic deal and then if you go over 10 they have a bunch of different price plans that you can take a look at it's time to break away from the internet you hate go sign up right now at igloosoftware.com upgrade thank you to igloo for supporting this show and relay fm Okay, Jason, so this is something that I've been toying about discussing, uh, but it's got to the point now where I want to talk about it, which is uh, ad blockers and Safari content blockers. So, right, And this is a little bit of follow-out in a way, isn't it? Yeah, because you and uh, Mr. Gruber had a great discussion about this on the talk show last week. Really fantastic episode talking about like the business that goes into these companies, you know, and, and kind of web advertising, how horrible it's become and why some of that worked. And you gave some of the great insight of working at a company like IDG, which I always love. Uh, whenever you're on a talk show, there are always these great discussions. I just find them so fascinating. Um, where you and John talk about this, with both of your experience having worked in the web for so long. A lot of people are upset um, about this for varying different reasons, and a lot of it seems to be focused towards The Verge. Um, 
because, I mean, previously it was focused on iMore, right? That was where this yeah. conversation started. Uh, then it became a bit of a hot-button issue. Uh, Neil I. Patel wrote um, uh, an article which definitely holds some merit um, about why the mobile web sucks, and this basically crossed the bar, the, like the barrier between com- complaining about websites and ads and also complaining about this Safari is the new IE thing. So yeah. Neilai was was you know in the post he says about how the Verge is part of a problem and ad networks are a bit of an issue and he talks about more though about how different platforms supporting different things and phones and tablets are worse off than the desktop in this scenario. What this did was make a bunch of people lash out against the Verge um, for their position on this, and there are lots of studies done and lots of statistics done, some uh, correct, some otherwise about how long it takes the Verge's articles to load. Uh, I saw, again, a great post linked by Neilai in retort to this. So basically, the Verge, people saying how long it takes, like it takes 30 seconds for the Verge to load. There were 263 HTTP requests. It fetched over 9.5 megabytes of data. Like for, for that was for that article that Neilai was using to complain about the mobile web, right? So saying, you're saying this, but look how terrible your website is. Then in retort to this, I'm basically giving the whole story here. <laughs> then in retort to this, uh, Neilai tweeted a link to a forum post from one of yes. Vox Media's people. Where, where they said, where they said, well, you were not on uh, mobile, and yep. if you were loading it on mobile, it would have only been like six megabytes, which was still so, a ridiculously large yeah. amount. And they, they, it, he admits <laughs> to the fact that it is still bad. It's not as bad, but it's still bad. And you <laughs> that know, seems to be the big, the basis of their argument here is yes, we know we we know we suck, but we don't suck as bad as you think we suck. Yeah, and then saying that. Uh, saying that they're getting better and they've had other focuses, different websites launch, stuff like that. They're a company Uh and they're saying they have different priorities. This is now becoming a priority. So, we, at the moment, there's a lot of talk about this and now there is a lot of discussion about people installing ad blockers. And I saw Marco was tweeting about this and wrote in a link post that he is installing an ad blocker. And I'm seeing many other people that I follow on Twitter do this and people saying that they're looking forward to the Safari content blocker thing so they can finally fix the issues that they're seeing on mobile. So what I wanted to talk about is how I feel about this situation. Relay your feels, Mike. I'm going to. It makes, <laughs> this makes me very uncomfortable. Because I feel bad for the people that work at these sites. Um, Because where we are now is basically a lot of people crying foul against these websites and saying that, you know, it's time for this to die. I'm seeing a lot of this kind of thing. Um, And that advertising on the web needs to be burned down to the ground and restarted and... That kind of thing. And I understand this. And I mean, I get as frustrated as many people do about um, web ads. They they do suck in a lot of ways. But I'm just there's just something that I'm not comfortable in that people saying that it needs to change completely. Because for things to change, I don't like the idea of the collateral damage of this being the livelihoods of people that have no say in how the advertising is served. Because fundamentally, that's what it is. And 
you know, because basically by saying you want this to go away and to die, it's going to kill off a bunch of websites, a bunch of websites that are reputable, or it's going to cut the profits of a bunch of websites, which ultimately means people will lose their jobs. And the thing is, it's like, it's not their fault. It's not even the companies, like the website companies. I, I don't even think it's like The Verge and IMO. It's not their fault. This is just the market that they're in. And I admit that my current uh, form of employment is the reason that it's swaying my opinion this way because we work on advertising here. I think the feeling about podcast advertising is very different. Um, I mean, people get annoyed at it because it's advertising in and of itself, and people some people just hate advertising. Yeah. But I don't think it's hated as much as web advertising because it's less intrusive. You can skip it if you want to, uh, and we try and do our best to pick advertisers. It's one of the reasons that now at Relay FM we do all of our own advertising because we can choose. Um, who we want, right? So there's there are ad networks, but but we don't use them. Uh, so that's where I, that's how I feel about this. Uh, and it, 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 there is just this feeling to me, which makes me uncomfortable, of the idea that this means people's livelihoods go away, uh, and and that makes me feel uncomfortable. So that's how I feel, Jason. I I get it. Um... A couple things that I wanted to mention based on what you were saying there. Um, one is I get the feeling that you feel you feel bad for people who are going to be affected by this. And I share that. I mean, I was I lived this, right? <laughs> I lived yep. this. Everybody who worked at Macworld, and I think still, but I can't speak to that because I, you know, I'm not on the inside anymore. Um, everybody who worked at Macworld and IDG in general, you know, the Macworld staff really they hated the the increasingly crappy ads and pre-roll videos and intercept ads and popover ads and all of these things that kept getting added. And so you feel bad for them. And yet, you know, at the same time, the ad blocker thing, you, you're, you're losing all those ad impressions and those are ultimately the, the way that they, their salaries get paid. So I, you can feel bad for them at the same time. You know, there are lots of professions that and industries that change because technology changes and because people's habits change. And, you know, this is like, you know, I, I feel bad for the steel workers. I feel bad for the uh, the people who used, the, for the milkmen, but we don't have milkmen anymore. I, I, I You can feel bad for them, but also say, you know, I feel bad for the milkman, but I, I, I bought a refrigerator and my life is better because I brought a refrigerator. And, and, and you can feel bad for them without... Um, saying, I'm going to hope that everybody foregoes this inevitable progress, this inevitable change, because we'll f otherwise it'll hurt people we like and we'll feel bad. I, I, that just sort of, I think you can't fight it and, um, and it's, you can still feel bad about it, but that's not enough. I also think that one of the parts of the story here is that this is an example of the web, not, it's not any one person's fault, but this is, this is the problem of, of web advertising that the web was built as this thing that you had to give away for free everything was free and then it became very difficult to, to make businesses out of it especially as the web um became successful and the other traditional older kind of businesses that funded a lot of this stuff went away because the web finally kind of ate their lunch and took all their ad revenue away and at the the world of ad advertising on the web um you know it's been this vicious cycle where there's you know people stop paying attention to the ads so they add more junk. And then people stop paying to the ad, attention to the ads so they add more junk. And there's more junk. And then people stop wanting to read the sites because there's too much junk or people download an ad blocker and 
And uh, so I think there's an inevitability here too of this of this uh, the current world of web ads falling apart for all but the biggest publishers um, because the you know the prices go down and the junk goes up and people are uh, and the technology gets more savvy to block that stuff and it's it I think um, it may or it may not be something that we can say you know I wouldn't choose this I feel like it's just going to happen that. That the way that the that advertising on the web works right now is um, is just broken, and um, and I'm not sure how it gets fixed or if it gets fixed. The shame of it is I don't I mean, agree I, I, I with you there. I have to. I have okay, to. Okay, go ahead. In the idea of the, we don't choose this, people are choosing. Like, people, ad blockers are not an organic thing. Right, it's not a no. thing that happens to your computer. Like, people are now making the choice that they want these websites to make less money what i'm saying is the websites the websites are complicit because the websites are filling their pages with junk and making them hard to load and if you load a web page on mobile sometimes you've got like multiple things overlaying the content that you have to try and tap and then you tap them and it it takes you away from that page to the thing that's being advertised instead Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you get really frustrated and you go back all that is happening i also do hate this that's what you can't control that's what you can't control is that that's where the web the world of web advertising is pushing. How do we make money off of people on mobile? There are way more people on mobile than on desktops, but we can't make money there. How do we do that? And they keep pushing and pushing and degrading the experience on desktop and on mobile, which I think does drive people to get frustrated and and drives the development of content blockers and ad blockers. And, and that's part of what's going on here. So I do think that that, I do think that's part of it. And, you know, it, it, the web brought this on itself because of the way that it's it's been built all along, you know, and the the fact that the reaction to this stuff is let's put more junk on the pages. That this is sort of we we've reached this point. That it's very difficult. The, there's a huge competition. I mean, I always cite Ben Thompson here from Stratechery and his his uh, writing about the smiling curve in publishing, where you either go for volume or you go for a very small but. Um, dedicated audience and all the publishers that are caught in the middle you know they've got lower and lower ad rates they keep trying to add more ways to make money to scrape by and it feels like something that just can't be solved that it will just keep going down until a point where you um you know you're you can't have a business anymore unless you're on one end of the curve or the other and that's the scary part is the people we like who make good content who are in the middle who are not writing for BuzzFeed, right? But they're also not daring fireball. What happens if the web, the way that the web works is not sustainable, whether or not there are content blockers? Because I would actually say the content blockers are a reaction to this race, but this is happening anyway because everybody wants to pour more junk onto pages because the CPMs keep going down, which is the ad rates, basically, cost per thousand uh, uh, for, to, to display an ad. Those, those just keep going down. So it's tough. It's it's a it's a I, I'm not sure where this goes other than that. I do think there will be a crack up at some point. And um, I, I, you already when you talk to people um, and I've seen it, people we know, uh, you know, are, are talking about what do you do to do, um, you know, to do a membership or or something like that, so that, that support. Maybe it's not a Patreon. Maybe it is. Maybe it's some other kind of membership. But those things, people are floating those things around. And one of the reasons is because, um, you know, what's going to happen with advertising is advertising enough on its own. And yeah, podcast advertising is a little bit different. I feel it's sort of a shame back in the day, like the early days of computer magazines, uh, the ads were great. Like people were excited to look at the ads because it brought them information. And the web, I think, has trained a whole generation to just despise 
everything advertising because the web ads are generally so bad. And I think podcast advertising is a lot better. Um, but uh, some people don't even want that because, like I said, I think that I think some people are just allergic to advertising in general. But um, that, I think that's one of the things that the pod they haven't figured out how to screw up pod podcast advertising and make them awful yet. And some of that is just because technically it's very hard to do that because you know podcasts you know are 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 the way they're delivered and 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 processed is so different from the web that um, it's a lot harder to mess it up. Which is I'm sure there's some startup out there right now that's trying to ruin podcast advertising too and make it awful. Oh, but, there um, are many I hear from them. <laughs> I'm sure you do, um, but uh, there's, uh, you know, their their powers are are less than they are on the web. On the web, their powers are great. Those those people to ruin ruin everybody's experience with more advertising. I think I that a lot of this comes from my general nature of why can't we all be nice to each other? Like, oh, I agree. You know that that's my my general nature is like why do we you know why do we have to hurt people? You know, like that that kind of feeling, and I always get a little bit upset about this kind of stuff. But this is this was always the case with with Macworld, yep. where where Serenity would be like you know Serenity often got the brunt of this because she was sort of manning the letters account at at Macworld and she would say, um, you know she would get these people who were just brutally angry about the stuff that that was going on on the site and and you know she would agree with that too that that's the, that's the challenge here is the people who are doing the content often agree but at the same time this is the stuff that pays the bills and unless their business finds another way forward. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation. I have never run an ad blocker for the same reason, which is, I feel like, um, then I'm, I feel like I want to support the sites that I like and I want to support their, um, their, their sponsors because I want them to have a business that works at the same time. I do think that you could argue that a lot of these businesses have, have really abused that, um, that connection that we've got with the people who make the content in order to do lots of things, not just annoy you, but track you in order to, in order to keep the lights on. And again, yay, keep the lights on. But at some point, do you, do you have to say, um, this is unacceptable. And if you say this is unacceptable, do you stop patronizing the site versus running an ad blocker? Which is what I've always said is like, look, if you don't like it, maybe you should just not look at their site, not look at it with an ad blocker. But that's a hard argument to make. It's just, you know, it's just funny to me that it's like at the start of the show we were talking about what happened at Macworld and like how sad it was. But it's like if we keep going down this road, there's going to be many more days like that. Yes. Oh, uh, un undoubtedly. It makes undoubtedly. me uncomfortable. It makes me really uncomfortable because I, I like the websites. I, I go to websites that I like, you know, that that's it, where I go. Yeah, I know. And I don't I know, want and to go away. And and the other problem is, um, if every website you like in the in the Mac space said um, we can't make it with advertising, but we're going to do a membership thing, and we're asking you for fifty dollars a year, um, that's great. Except how many people are going? How how many? Even if you're uh, you know really deep into this and you really love this, how many of those can you have? How much are you going to pay? Are you going to mm -hmm. pay uh, five hundred dollars a year to? 10 websites in order to support them. I, I, I think there's a limit to that too. And that's, that's my fear in all of this is that the, that the fact is the web has created this um, uh, a broad canvas for anybody to reach an audience. And so a lot of people have, and that we're about to enter a phase where um, it turns out that um, 
that we have too many people doing this. Not that they aren't good at their job and not that people don't want to read them, but that there's no way we can get a big enough audience to either make money on ads or generate enough support direct from readers slash listeners in order for them all to keep doing what they're doing as their livelihood. And that's scary because that that is, I mean, in journalism, we uh, since I've been doing journalism, uh, it, it's been very clear that it is a troubled industry, right? And we always joke about like, this is like uh, sending somebody to journalism school is a little bit like telling somebody to uh, enter a, a valuable career being a steel worker, right? It's like, well, wait, that is not an industry you necessarily want to go into because it's kind of fading away and th- that would be a bad bit of career advice. Um, but sometimes this is one of those cases where I start to think about that even more and think, you know, it's possible and, and things could change dramatically and, and, and a lot of people are going to make it through. But it is possible that in this population of people we like uh, who write stuff we like or do podcasts that we like, that in five years, half of them are not doing it anymore because they can't make it work. And that's scary. <laughs> but that may be fin- financially, that economically, that may happen. And sometimes when I see my colleagues um, in the in the computer journalism industry, the tech journalism industry, going uh, to work in PR or going to work behind the scenes for a company, um, you know, those are examples of that. We don't read things by Chris Breen anymore because he's working at Apple. I mean, well, we may read things by him, but we wouldn't know it because <laughs> they, his name isn't on it. Um, you know, we don't know my, my, uh, my friend, John Seff, who's the executive editor at Macworld for, for many years, you know, he, he's working at Apple now. And so we don't, you know, he's not working on this stuff day to day. Um, and you know, I, the list goes on, uh, somebody like Brad Molin, who wrote about mobile for ages at a whole bunch of different sites is doing PR now. Um, you know, and that always happened, but I do wonder if, there is a, a a reckoning coming where where we're going to do this, and I don't think ad blockers ad blockers are not going to be. I don't think we're going to look back and say, "Oh, content blockers killed the web and everybody lost their jobs." It's just part of this much bigger issue, I think. But I think you're right to be concerned about it because it's it's a big deal, it, and and it's going to be, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think. It just makes me sad. I agree. I agree. I hope that, you know, we're all trying to find ways, you, you know, including us, right? I'm, I mean, I'm certainly trying to find a way to to make it without uh, being in the position that Macworld is in where they've got, you know, pre-roll ads and lots of uh, tiles everywhere and things that slide in over your page and stuff like that. I would, that Six Colors has like a text ad and a post a week and a little tiny deck ad and that's it. It's, it's like incredibly lightweight because I, that as a reaction to all of that. Um, but you know, I'm also not at the point now where I think if I can't make more money at six colors, I'm going to have to go, you know, start applying for jobs at tech companies. I'm not at that point. So it's easy for me to do that. But what if I was at that point, what are my options then? That's scary. Yep. I don't want to get a job, Jason. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Right, I'm going to get too sad. How about we, uh, whilst advertising is still good in this game, how about we stop it and take one and then do some last upgrade? Yeah, you know, podcast advertising is uh, is really nice. And one of, the, one of the things is you can have a, it's a little more personal and hopefully it's different every time. Um, so this, this ask upgrade is about our friends at stamps.com who are back. Um, we've told you about stamps.com before. The idea here is, uh, if you're a if you're a small or medium sized business, you probably do a lot of shipping and mailing, 
and uh, the old way of doing stuff, the old way of businesses shipping and mailing is with a postal meter. Uh, but, you know, there's been a revolution in this stuff, just like there has been in so many different bits of technology. You can get the mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk using stamps.com. Uh, it never closes, unlike the post office. You don't have to wait in a line, unlike the post office. You can actually buy and print your postage from your computer and your printer, and then you just hand it to your uh, friendly letter carrier when they come by or drop it in a mailbox, and that's it. So uh, businesses pay fifteen ninety nine a month. That's it. There's no long-term requirement. There's no multi-year commitment. That's something the postage meters generally require. They also don't mark up your postage. In fact, you can get discounts with stamps.com. So if you would like to try this out for your business, here's what you should do. Use the promo code UPGRADE for this special offer. You get a no-risk trial, and there's a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale, so you can get exact postage. It's a USB, little nice USB scale that, that you get, and up to $55 of free postage. So don't wait. Go now. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone on stamps.com at the top of the homepage and type in Upgrade, the show you're listening to right now, at stamps.com and enter Upgrade for uh, for the special deals. But I've used stamps.com uh, quite a bit, and uh, it is so great. I've talked about it before. Um, I, I work in my garage. I don't get out as much as I used to. When I do get out of the house, though, you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to go to the post office and stamps.com means I don't have to go there. I can go somewhere nicer. Like I can go next door from the post office to Whole Foods and buy Manchego or peanut butter. And, uh, and, and uh, thank you stamps.com for allowing me to just swerve past the post office and move on to someplace happier. Stamps.com. Stamps.com. Thank you. Stamps.com. Listener Alan wrote in, um, Listener Alan has an iMac with a Fusion Drive in it. And he finds that it grinds, pulses, or simply feels like he's running on a stupid old slow spinning disc from 2003. Yeah. So, let's say that Alan could upgrade to a new iMac and he has $4,000 to spend on the new 5K iMac. So he's running an older iMac version where the, yeah. I think the Fusion Drive was just introduced in the previous model and he's running that one. So let's say in this scenario that that Alan has come across this money, he's still stuck with the decision of either a one terabyte SSD or a three terabyte fusion drive. What does he do? What does he do? Um, I am a believer in SSD. So I know it's not as much storage space, but I feel like for your boot drive, I think the best... Fusion Drive, I've heard mixed things. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Um, I would go all SSD. And if you need storage, if you need like lots of external storage, I would say get a NAS, you know, network attached storage device or or get an, a big external drive of some kind and off, you know, uh, offload your projects to that when you're done. So I've got a little, I've got a Mac mini server with a, with the Drobo attached to it, actually about four feet away from me and an SSD on my iMac. So um, I just use the SSD on my iMac and I store all my files on the big drive when I'm done. And I think that's the best combination. And you have to look and see whether that fits in your budget. But personally, I, I want my storage that's on my Mac to be um, to be SSD at this point. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I that is the number one thing. Whenever I use a computer that still has a, the spinning disk in it, even if it's a Fusion drive, it is painful compared to the pure 
SSD. So that that's my recommendation is I think I think people should buy um, SSDs for their internal storage. And then if they really need a lot of external storage to get a network attached drive and just put it on their network and they can do it that way or get an external drive you can attach uh, when you need it or leave it attached all the time. But know that that's the slower storage that just is just for kind of offloading when you're not using it. Yeah, Does I that have work for a, you, Mike? Yeah, I have a 512 SSD in my Mac Pro. Um, and it isn't a problem, but I've, I'm finding myself every now and then going in and needing to delete stuff, you know? So I've been thinking about getting a Drobo for a while, and it's on my long-term shopping list, you know, maybe maybe around tax season. <laughs> get, get rid of some of that money. And uh, so I think I'm going to do that. Just, just to store stuff long-term, like audio files can get quite big, uh, depending on what you're working with. Oh, yeah. Um, and at the moment, I'm like deleting old project files, and I probably don't need them that for that long. But it would just be nice, I think, to have something where I could just store stuff long term. The great thing is, um, like we have uh, Stephen has a bunch of storage space, and we have some storage space with Mac Mini Colo, and we have everything just automatically download there for storage, so it's not like a pressing issue. Like all our all our shows are archived, you know, on our stuff that we have elsewhere yeah but i wouldn't mind having something here it's just not pressing so i haven't gotten around to it yet right but in all honesty like for the machine that i work on 512 gigabytes is is fine really i'm not putting movies on this i'm not putting music on this like it's just work files and it it, it does a good enough job but i agree with you i I did once have to go from SSD back to a spinning hard drive, and it's one of the most horrible things that I've ever done. And I had to work on that Mac Mini oh. for years. Um, and I now I just you couldn't I, you you could not make me do it. You yeah, I have the five I have the five twelve um, gigabyte SSD in my iMac, and it is plenty of space. Um, given that I am not storing all the stuff that when I'm done with a project, I move it. Uh, the nice thing about having all that. Uh, external storage space is that I um yeah I listen to you talk about oh, I don't need my logic projects I can just get rid of them and it's like well w- a lot of the relay stuff is so um time time timely yeah. it's most valuable now and I mean yeah yep. people might li- go back and listen to some episodes from the past but it's mostly about the present whereas incomparable stuff I occasionally will go back and I'll do a best of or I'll 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 do a special edit of something and all of that and so I I now keep all of those I'm actually keeping all of my logic files right now but those are the ones that they're, they're the ones that are more timeless that I I want to save it because I've actually had it come up where somebody said you know what about this thing or or you know it's a best of the year thing and and uh, somebody's talking over somebody else but I can like isolate their track and um and I do that because I've got this you know big uh, raid with a giant amount of uh, of hard drive space and it's great and yet yet my Mac with the 512 SSD is uh super fast and it's a great combination if you can if you can make it work in your budget to to have external storage it's uh that's the way to go yep i agree completely Right. Um, Andrew asked, with Apple Music that is added to your library, can you burn it to a CD to get around DRM and have a permanent copy? I don't know the answer to this, but I'm just going to say no. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> that's that's my feeling. I don't even feel like I need to check. Yeah, it seems unlikely, doesn't it? I, I don't actually know. This was the, this was the, old, um, the old way you got around um, DRM, right? Mm-hmm. Was you you burned you went to a playlist and then burned it as a uh, as a CD, 
You remember that era, Mike? Do you remember oh, I, that? Yeah, oh, hundred percent, Jason. I did that all the time. I, I, yeah, you would, uh, you'd want to get your friend the new album that you were listening to that you'd bought on iTunes. Uh, so you'd burn them a CD on a CDRW so they could give it back to you. Uh, and then it would there would be no DRM for them. You wouldn't need to authorize their computer, uh, and they'd be good to go. Yeah, so my guess is no, but I don't know. Yeah, as I, said, I, I did some I haven't quick burned searching. a CD in so long that, yeah. I, I haven't got a computer that could. <laughs> Although I've got an external drive that I, I use. I do have for... one of those, and I can't remember why I bought it, but I bought it relative. Oh, I remember, I remember. I had to make a CD for a funeral and it was wow. like yeah it was like well we needed the music and there was no other way to get it and the the funeral home would only take a cd so i had to spend 80 pounds to get a cd drive to make one cd man future uh so yeah that's the reason that i have one and it's but i i always forget that i have it because i never need it for anything who uses cds today man crazy crazy town John would like to know, and I would love to know this, and now that John has pointed it out, Jason, I really hope I have you an can answer. help. I, I, I have an answer. I hoped that you would. Why do OS X keyboard shortcuts highlight their menu bar in blue, like the specific item where they live in the menu bar, uh, when it's pressed? So, for example, if you are in TweetBot and you press Control-N, uh, it will open the new the box for new the new tweet, which is also under under the uh, tweet menu in the tweetbot menu bar. All right, so it highlights it in blue the word tweet in the menu bar, as if to show you, hey, it came from here. Why does that happen? Well, I mean, the answer is, it is the idea is if you know a keyboard shortcut but you don't know where its corresponding menu item is, it's telling you. <laughs> that's that's really the answer. The idea is to tie the keyboard to the menu bar, which sometimes is useful if you're like, well, I know what the shortcut is for to make text bold, but I don't know what it is to make it an underline or a strike through. Um, if you press the text bold, uh, okay. you'll see that it's in the style menu or whatever, and you, and you'll say, oh, well, that must be where it is, and then you can go up and and you can you can look for it. But that that is that is the reason why it does that is it's it's trying to make the connection that the keys that you type are are actually menu commands. And then the counterpart is that the command shows you the key you can type in the menu. So that that's it's a convention from the uh, beginning of the Mac, and so it remains. And sometimes it can be useful, but it's also there just to tie those two things together. Okay. I mean, it kind of makes sense. On. That kind of makes sense. But it's it's... Yeah. Uh, there is a part of me that feels like that is a remnant from a bygone era. <laughs> also, I'd say what it does is it um, it's indicating to you that um, it's indicating you to, to you that that your key was heard, right? Because you might not always see in the interface something changes. Like if I if I've got I'm sitting at a cursor. And I choose Command B to bold, start typing in bold text. Okay. There's no bold text yet. So how does it know? Did my key get read? Did it hear me? And by flashing in the menu bar, you've got a visual indicator that your keyboard shortcut was heard. So yeah. that's the other reason. Funny thing is, I don't see the menu bar very often anymore because I run a lot of my apps in full screen. <laughs> yeah, you know, same on you. Hey, that's fine. you didn't you Whatever. write a piece about full screen? Like, and why it's good? Or was that Dan? No, no, 
No. <laughs> no, it, it's funny. I wrote a thing about how I think uh, split view makes full screen more um, more useful. Yeah, that's that's what um, I was but, going for. I'm but, kind but of I have I'm twisting your words there a bit. <laughs> well, and MacWorld did too, because my my piece was very much like, "Hey, Split View's got a lot of problems that Apple needs to fix because the metaphor's kind of broken." And the headline is like, "Why Split View will make things great?" <laughs> like, well, see, see, that's I, not, I haven't read what, that what piece yet. And that's why I thought yeah. you said it. Oh, the headline is much more positive than the actual article is. <laughs> uh, by the way, I only noticed like yesterday that your article is called More Color, and that's fantastic. Your your series is called More Color, oh, yeah. your column. That, that, that was Susie Oaks's idea, and it's, it's great because it not only references six colors, but uh, I couldn't stop laughing on the analyst call because they're always asking uh, Tim Cook for more color about this or more color about that in the in the results and uh, tim cook at one point actually said you know in terms of more color on this other thing and it just made me laugh that's a that's a really great uh name for the, the column. yeah it is yeah susie the great suggestion by susie and finally a question from will going back to something we were talking about a little bit earlier uh will asks with u.s carriers dropping the subsidy model should apple rethink iphone price points to offset sticker shock this fall to my so my supplementary question oh. to you jason is i didn't know this was happening is this happening it's starting to happen. Really what's happening is that carriers are changing from the subsidy model to what they're calling uh, financing. Uh, Oh, okay. I think essentially the difference is that with financing, you pay pay the extra money for two years. You pay the $199 or whatever the the price is um, with financing. And after two years, um, your bill goes down. Instead of what has been happening, which is completely insane, and I do think drives phone sales which is um you your subsidy is baked into your bill and if you use an iphone for four years instead of two your bill doesn't go down so you really are motivated to upgrade as soon as you're out of your subsidy because you're essentially paying your subsidy whether you use it or not so you might as well use it and you know pay the 199 or whatever and get a new phone because your bill's not going to go down with this approach, your bill goes down. So you, you pay an extra whatever, $20 a, a month until two years is over, and then your bill goes down, yep. which, is, which, is, which is great. So I think, I think it's interesting. I think it's unlikely at this point that Apple will rethink its price points because it is by far the most important product in Apple's product line, and it's doing really well and growing. And I'm not sure Apple feels like it needs to... Uh, it needs to change the prices. But it is true if we got to the point where people were... I, I think what it's going to take is I think it's going to... Uh, the, the more we abandon subsidies, the more um, uh, people are going to see the full price. And that is going to lengthen the upgrade cycle. It's going to make people reluctant to pay that phone every two years even if they will pay less money overall which is probably accurate yeah seeing that number is the problem it it it, seeing having to pay six hundred dollars for your phone even though in the end over the course of two years your bill is less because you're not paying the subsidy it's still just buying psychology it is harder to say uh, yay, uh, I'm going to go pay $550 for for the new iPhone. Also, it takes it off of the, the calendar. Then it's just, when do I want to buy a new iPhone? And, you know, it's no longer, you know, your uh, 
your phone company saying, look, you're basically paying for it anyway. You might as well get it. It's $199. Now it's more, hey, you can get one whenever you want. It's $599. And uh, so, yeah, well, well I, think, I think when there's a feeling that sales are going to start lagging because of the price, because people are now seeing the full price, that would be when it would happen. But I think everybody involved in this transaction, you know, actually, well, even the consumers, even though it doesn't make sense financially, it makes sense emotionally for consumers. I think everybody benefits by having it say 199. So I think, you know, the change will be the, the uh, finance model, like I said, and the idea that after you've got your phone for two years, your bill just goes down until you get a new phone and then your bill goes back up for the two year period that you're paying it off. That may that may remain. I I think. I I think it's there for a reason. And although it's not necessarily the best deal, the best deal would be to just buy your phone. And I, the and the more they make it easy for you to just walk in, I would rather do that. I would just rather walk in and pay the full price and walk out and have my bill be less because I know in the end that's a better deal. But I think most people don't react that way, and that's why it is the way it is. And that, I think that'll probably continue. But if it does tail off, if we do start seeing a whole lot more people. Um, just paying full price for the phone. Um, and if it has an impact on the upgrade cycle, that's when I think you might start seeing Apple feel some pressure to make the sticker price less. So we have actually had this model in the UK for a year or two, um, but I didn't fully understand it from the way that the question was asked. And it's it's led to a couple of different things. So the way that it's pitched here is slight, maybe slightly different. The idea being that you pay one amount of money, but it pays for two different things. You pay for your contract and you pay for your phone, your handset. Um, And once you finish paying for your handset, you can upgrade to another one. So you can do a free upgrade or if you want to keep on the contract period or extend the contract, or you can pay again for another one and then we put it back into your contract again. So you take out another handset payment right? And you're keeping the bill. And one of the things this is doing is it's benefiting customers in one way, which also benefits the phone companies. So people may take two, three year, four year agreements. So they're keeping their price plan low, but they can still upgrade sooner because they take, they pay their handsets off over a year. Does that make sense? Yeah. So people are still changing their phones every year, but they're locked into longer term contracts, which benefits the company but also mm-hmm. keeps people's price plans cheaper because the longer you take it out the cheaper it is so there is this weird thing where it's like a kind of a benefit for both both sides like if you're happy enough with the pl- price and the service that you get from your phone company um you end up being able to upgrade on a more frequent ratio like more frequent time period so right right so, yeah. i think i think we'll see more of that i think yeah. I think the U.S. market. This is this is what's happening now. Is they're they're realizing they need to try some different some different approaches here. That's the advantage too of having a lot of competition in wireless. Is um, the wireless companies are willing to make you a deal and give you a better deal if you'll stay with them, um, and that's good. That's 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 a that's one of those cases where the consumer has an advantage. Is they're afraid that you're going to switch to the other guys, and uh, and that gives you know that may, motivates them to make a better deal. Right, so I think that brings us to the end of this week. I think so. 
If you want to find our show notes for today's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 47. That's where you'll also find uh, a link to Stephen and Jason's little little space conversation, which I think you should go and listen to if you haven't already. Uh, Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Stamps.com, Igloo, and GoToMeeting. If you want to support this show, go support our sponsors. It's a great way. Go check them out. Go sign up for their trials, that kind of thing. And if you like them, buy their products. That helps support this show. Um, We do sell stickers. Uh, for all of our shows and we have Relay FM t-shirts and that's another way you can help us if you really want to it's at relay.fm slash store and we're always trying to think of new different ways for you to help us out if you want to do that and we're going to have more to talk about in the future I'm sure uh, if you want to find us online I am at imike I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter Jason is at jsnell J-S-N-E-L-L and he writes over at sixcolors.com go and check out Jason's site and click all of his ads as well why don't you do that if uh, my my sadness has, has reached you today? Uh, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Jason, for joining me as always. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. Goodbye, everybody.